Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic today, Tim. Hope all the listeners are doing fantastic. The guests that we have on, they have such a great chemistry. They play off each other really well. We've gotten to know them really well over the past few years at this point because Jane Borowski is a subject of season one of our new show, Dark Valley. But before we go on into that, Tim... I have to know from my own personal knowledge, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for asking. And yes, very excited about this conversation here that we had with Jane Borowski and Amanda and Drew Bedard. Of course, they are the team behind the Invisible Tears podcast, which you can check out at invisible-tears.com. And of course, Jane and Amanda have appeared on the new Crawl Space Media podcast called Dark Valley, which we'll be speaking about in this conversation and you should be listening to if you're not already but i'm guessing most of you are and we also just want to let you know that we'll be playing an episode of invisible tears on the crawlspace feed after this episode this interview with the trio behind invisible tears because they have been recapping dark valley and so the next episode on the Crawlspace feed will be an episode of Invisible Tears speaking about one of the episodes of Dark Valley. Hopefully that's not too much for you. It'll all be very well explained in this conversation. It's like the Marvel Universe, Tim. <laughs> it's like worlds intersect and worlds can coexist, but we coexist with Invisible Tears in the way where Dark Valley is the investigative podcast in a sense. Whereas Invisible Tears is more of the healing process for people who have been victims of attacks, who have family members, who have lost loved ones. Jane is probably one of the best people that we know to speak to how you can get through the PTSD of this. Be honest with yourself. Know that you went through some really terrible things and then come out on the other side a much more well-rounded, incredible person. So that's Invisible Tears in contrast to Dark Valley. Definitely check that out. Okay, everyone, make sure to check out Crawlspace Premium on Apple Podcasts. If you're not an Apple user, you can sign up at crawlspace.supportingcast.fm. You get ad-free episodes, early releases, and our weekly bonus show. And, of course, that's all bundled with Missing and Dark Valley and we're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be right back with Jane Borowski and Amanda and Drew Bedard. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Life's better with American Family Insurance. Because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. 
Welcome back to the podcast. It's Jane Borowski and Amanda and Drew Bedard from Invisible Tears. How are you today? Doing good, Tim. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great, but I want to know how you are all doing. I'm doing. <laughs> been a rough week, but I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, it's been busy. How are you guys doing? We're doing, we're doing well, but uh, it's only Monday, guys. You just said it's been a rough week. What is what is happening? I'm talking about all last week into the weekend and today. <laughs> oh no! Well, hopefully this uh, conversation yeah. will be enough to distract you. What what's uh what's what's the what's going on? Well, I went on vacation last weekend, not this past weekend, the weekend before, and um, while I was gone, storms came through my area. I was camping with with uh, Jessica and Cheyenne, the storms came through and a big ass tree fell right on my car. <laughs> oh, come on. So Dennis calls me and tells me, um, there's a tree on your car, a rather large one. So yeah, I guess smashed a uh, roof, smashed windshield, bunch of stuff inside my car smashed. So waiting for... Waiting to hear back from the insurance company, and hopefully they can fix it, because I love my car, and I hate car shopping. So You hate car shopping? So yeah, I hate car shopping. <laughs> car shopping's oh, the worst. The worst. Uh, Most well, certainly is. Sorry to hear about that. I mean, we're going to do our best to maybe... Uh, shed a little shed a little light we're gonna do our best to i don't know bring a little sunshine to your otherwise smashed up <laughs> smashed up car existence really sorry to hear about that anyway welcome to the show Thank you. I, I love that we keep having you. you uh you all back on and we get to talk about this fantastic podcast that you have which is like we've said numerous times before just the best companion podcast to, to dark valley this is your journey uh, Jane, your recovery journey, but you also have other stories and you've created quite a community with this podcast, which we'll talk about one of these actionable moments that is going to be taking place next month. Yes, next month. We'll talk about that in, in a little bit, but how's how's it going as far as the podcast is concerned? Are you guys feeling comfortable with it? Uh, I know that, you know, this is a it's, a, it's a relatively new thing for you all. So how are you easing into the whole business and the whole production of it? The PTSD and the healing, all that really exploded and resonated with our listeners. I, I think a lot more than I expected. Uh, the amount of people that message us with, you know, oh, you have no idea how much you've helped me. And we've had a few people come forward and say, you know, I have not had um, any counseling for years, and and listening to your story, we've um, I've decided to go get seek counseling for the very first time, and yeah, I've had a lot of people say I've never felt so heard, and that was really um, surprising to me. The amount of responses we have gotten with all all that, but uh, it's it's been very positive. And actually kind of healing to me, too. Um, we talk about the good. We talk about the bad, you know. There's like like Christmas time. I was having a very difficult time through Christmas. And uh, 
we we had a ton of people respond to us and be like, oh my God, this was the worst Christmas ever. And and uh, we just, um, our, our mental uh, aspect of Christmas just was not there like it had been in the past. So it's uh, the amount that we're really, um, we're relating to people and, and people are relating to us is, has been amazing. Uh, it's, it really has been great. Yeah. I definitely second what you say, Jane. Um, I, I don't think that any of us really expected to receive so much outpour from our audience, um, really saying that, you know, we've, we've helped them and them thanking us for talking about some of the mental health stuff that we talk about, um, which is really inspiring and makes us feel good. And it's good that we were able to get a little bit of experience underneath, you know, our feet as far as the timing when we're doing the reviews for Dark Valley. I think we all hit a comfort level. We're a little bit better in the, you know, in front of the mic and being able to hypothetically think about things without being worried about sounding like a jackass. You know, when you're just kind of coming up with random theories, you're like, ah, this might sound stupid. But at this point, it's like, a, no, you just want to throw it out there because you never know what other people might be thinking about as well. Yeah, and I think you all do a great job with that on Invisible Tears. But before we go too deep, can we go around and can you introduce yourselves and what role you play on Invisible Tears? Let's start with Drew. <laughs> uh, so I'm Drew Bedard. Um, I'm Amanda's husband, and Jane, I've known her uh, almost my entire life. She's been my babysitter. Her and my parents are great friends, so I've known her story ever since I was a little kid. So my role on the show is definitely more producer and sort of a third mic to come in um, and speak on uh, episodes every now and then. And I would definitely say we do have a nice little way to differentiate with how we all think. Jane being a survivor she definitely thinks one way when we're talking about a case. Amanda is definitely in the middle ground where she can see both sides of the victim and also the perpetrator. And I definitely find myself trying to put my mind of the perpetrator more than the victim. So I think we kind of gel together with coming with different aspects uh, when thinking about each topic that we're talking about. Yeah, I think that's a great way to differentiate us. Thanks, Drew. And so I'm Amanda Bedard. I am Jane's co-host. I'm her life coach. She's called me her ride or die before. Um, so I, I love that term too. I also produce along with Drew and I edit everything uh, that edit and create all the episodes and everything that we put up on Invisible Tears, build the website. Um, so, so I'm sort of uh, one of the techie people, I guess you can say. I'm also a Reiki master and a life coach. So as Drew outlined with all of us having a little bit of a different, you know, difference of opinion and sort of where we're coming from. I think that um, my ability to be able to see both sides uh, definitely comes a little bit from not just like personal experience, but also from my coaching experience as well. And I am Jane Borowski. I get to just sit in front of the mic and talk <laughs> and talk about myself and talk about my experiences and um, my healing and pretty much tell my story. And if it wasn't, if it wasn't for Drew and Amanda, this would not be possible for me. I'm eternally grateful for them, but I'm a, I, I'm a survivor of a serial killer 
the Connecticut River Valley serial killer. Me and my daughter, uh, I was seven months pregnant when I was stabbed and attacked 27 times by this monster. And um, I, I get to uh, sit behind the mic and, and tell my story and um, in hopes of helping others. Drew, you said something super interesting, and I'm wondering if you had any expectations of this happening before you started the podcast, which was you try to see it from the point of view of the perpetrator when you're talking about these crimes and these incidents. Did you ever think that that would be something that you were even capable of doing before you started doing the podcast? Because that's kind of like tapping into a dark area. Yeah, it was definitely whenever hearing about true crime cases, I always did find it difficult to put myself in. If you're looking at it from a you know, point of view, first person point of view, it's always difficult for me to put myself in the victim's shoes going, okay, what would I do? How would I react? But then when trying to think about how the hell could somebody actually do this, what might be going through their mind that they can actually carry out this heinous act, I definitely did find that tr a little bit more interesting. So trying to get into that headspace of, you know, with Jane's instance, what was he thinking? What was the trigger? Uh, what made her choose her? What made him stop attacking her? You know, with other victims, what made him abduct them, but not Jane, even if she was fighting? We know that the other ones were fighting. So just trying to get into that headspace, that was something I always would try to go when looking at different cases. You know, it all dates back to the first time as a kid hearing about the Zodiac Killer, and you're like, how could somebody's mind work that they really want to talk or taunt and really mess with people that much? How does their mind work to even come up with that idea and then actually carry it out? So that sort of mind frame did carry um, right through whenever being a fan of true crime up to um, wanting to tell Jane's story as well. Yeah, I, Drew is very good with details, um, finding little details. And he's very good at finding details and evidence or anything that was found at these scenes or the weather he, he he's picked up on um quite a few things like the weather the day some of these women were missing or, or went missing or were found and drew is very very good with detail he's very good with looking into these cases and finding some sort of detail that that nobody really looked at before yeah i think it really does all stem from my finance background is was dealing with a lot of hypotheticals, a lot of forecasting for best way, you know, worst case scenarios and looking at a bunch of different avenues that the business might go down. So I kind of translate that into like crime scenes going, okay, if you look at a topic this way, where does that rabbit hole go down and where does it reach a point where it doesn't make sense? And then you can kind of discount that little bit of evidence. But if you look at that one piece of evidence and you start going down the rabbit hole and you see that, okay, it might add up, this might make sense. Do you kind of continue going, you know, down that route? It's sort of embedded in his personality to play devil's advocate as well, which I think really helps when he's thinking about a case or a situation and he starts diving in. And he's also great at thinking outside the box. Yeah, I agree. I've been listening to Invisible Tears since it's launched, and I love it. And I also love the Dark Valley recap episodes that you've been doing. And I think it was Drew who pointed out recently that several of these murders took place during the day. And I thought that was a really insightful point, something I hadn't really considered. Yep. Uh, any of the attacks that happened during the week were daytime attacks, and then any attacks that happened 
uh, at night were always on the weekends. And it was one of those things where we didn't really put it together until listening to Dark Valley when Jen was able to clarify the timing behind one or the two of the attacks. And we started to really bullet point it out. We noticed that that trend and don't know if it has anything to do with it, but it definitely might lend to the timing of when this uh, attacker worked as far as was he a second shift worker. And that's why he might have been out, you know, during the week being able to be out during the day, no problem. And then on the weekends, he was used to being up in the middle of the night. Yeah. And what's great about the evolution of figuring that out on the episode was actually, that was real. That wasn't staged. We honestly, we actually worked through that filming live on the episode. So it was an interesting development. So the reaction that we hear on that episode was literally you all figuring this out in real time. This wasn't something that had come about prior and you said, let's, we got to put this on the episode. This act Because it's like, it's like really like impactful when it happens. So knowing that now is making it even better. Well, you know, in actuality, we each listen to the episode separately and we don't talk about the episode before we record it. When we do the episodes on our reaction episodes for Dark Valley, we don't talk about it before we record it. We all listen to the episodes separately and then we go on and we just start talking about the, you know, what what our opinions are and and talk about the episode. Uh, none of that is um, pre-scripted or anything. It, it's all like live. That's great to know. And yeah, I really enjoy hearing your thoughts on the episodes of Dark Valley. I thought it was really interesting in the episode where you were talking about the medium who saw inside victim Linda Moore's house, but had never actually been inside the house. And I thought you all made some great points, even the possibility that the house is similar to others in the area and you may know the layout just from walking by, but I'm wondering what other detail came about in that uh, premonition as well. Yeah, and like we said on the episode, me having a personal experience, obviously not within this situation, but having a personal experience where that has actually happened with me before, approaching this individual and sort of trying to reach out in the realm of that may actually allow us to be able to have some sort of communication and, and just talk with him more. I thought it was interesting. Uh, I was uh, unaware that that other composite that was made for the Linda Moore case, they already knew who that was. They already identified him. So why is that composite still out there for a person of interest or whatever? Um, I don't. I don't understand that. If they've already identified the man, he obviously didn't have anything to do with it, but he was a person of interest for them to talk to. I, I don't understand why his composite is still out there and, and sitting next to the composite online of the composite I made of my attacker. That just doesn't make sense, but that's the internet for you. Yeah, they're clearly not the same person, no matter what. No. Because that person was identified. Um, I think he was jogging when Linda Moore was murdered. I don't know. Maybe that's a problem with the messaging because I'm sure other folks don't know that that person in that composite has been identified. Yeah, I, they still talk about that composite online. 
they still, you know, ask questions about that composite online. People need to know that that, that is not a composite of the possible attacker and, and killer of Linda Moore that he's already been identified. But however, my composite, that man has not been identified. And my case still remains unsolved along with the Connecticut River Valley. So I would like to make that perfectly clear. Well, speaking with media too, it wasn't until we really started to do the show that it started to get the message out there that Nicolau is not the Connecticut River Valley serial killer. If you were to go back and look online just two or three years ago, people would assume it was solved because he was the suspect. He was the perpetrator. Um, but with us, you know, being able to have Jane clarify that, that he was not the attacker, it definitely opens up the discussion to really try to find who actually did it. Because in a lot of people's minds, it was already solved. Yeah, it really just goes to show that a great product of what's come out of these projects, right? Invisible Tears and Dark Valley is clarifying misinformation. Exactly. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. And you cover other cold cases on Invisible Tears. I'm curious if you find the same, I guess, similarities between some of these cold cases and the Connecticut River Valley murders, including your attack, Jane. Do you find similar irregularities and miscommunications and moments online that just aren't true that have snowballed into something bigger with other cases? So far, not anything that's really significant, I would say, with the majority of the cold cases that the other cold cases not connected to the con- to the Connecticut River Valley cases um, that we've that we've covered. But I would definitely say, you know, you go into one source, there's a piece of information, you go into another source, and it's different. Um, so with those pieces and bits of information, we always try and make sure that we actually cite the sources that we're covering and sort of make sure and put all that information out there and leave it up to audience determination. Another thing that we have been finding with interviewing others about the other cold cases uh, or other cold cases, and we've been basically concentrating on New Hampshire right now. We did uh, the Mora Mora case and Trish Haynes case, both unsolved. And We've actually, with doing those two interviews, we realized that victims and victims' families are dealing with a lot of the same crap as far as uh, dealing with the AG office and and the authorities in the state of New Hampshire. So that is one main similarity that we've come across. And um, we're going to be addressing... <laughs> Yes, and I know that you formed a coalition, and you're organizing a march. Tell us about this march in Concord, New Hampshire, on August 15th, 2023. Well, so far, we've got a, a few families together. There's been um, there's 
Julie Murray, Maura Maura's sister. And then there's um, Trish Haynes' family, uh, Valerie and her aunt and her um, another advocate for her, which is Chloe French. And we've, um, we're forming this coalition to um, march up to the state capitol in New, in New Hampshire to um, demand change to demand some transparency, uh, some resolutions to a few things uh, to these cases. Um, there's 109 unsolved missing and murdered cases in New Hampshire that are unsolved in cold cases. They're cold, which means there there's no suspect. There's 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 not necessarily no suspect, but there's no movement in these cases. And for the state of New Hampshire, that's an enormous amount. I mean, most of these cases are 30 plus years old. So we're we're going to march up and be the voice for the voiceless and let them know that, you know, this is not okay. We want change. We want more action. Hopefully we'll get it. Tell me more about the goals. And is the public invited to this? Yes, absolutely. We absolutely encourage people to show up to this march with us and, and help support us. Or, or you may have a family member that is either missing or, or a victim of, of murder and unsolved. And you feel like you're, their case is not getting the same or the, the attention that you think it deserves. And you feel like that the AG office and the authorities in New Hampshire are not giving you transparency like you deserve. Show up to the march with us, march with us. You know, a lot, of, a lot of things that need to change or the one big thing that needs to change in that office is the advocacy program. That program is so broken and it needs to be fixed. It, it just needs to be fixed so badly. So yeah, we, we definitely encourage people to, to come and march with us. I think the march starts at 11 o'clock. We've been uh, um, posting on our, on our websites and on all our social media about the march. I know Trish Haynes, has, her family has been also posting uh, the flyers and and Julie Murray has also, and we also are going to be having a billboard. We're hoping on Route 93 somewhere in the Concord area about this March for the the month of August for for the two or three weeks in August. So um, that will be great. I mean, that'll be in their face every day that they go to work. They'll have to see it. They will have no choice but to see it. Yeah, I think. Amanda has more to add to all that, too. I think I can just briefly summarize our goals a little bit. Um, So four main goals can be summarized as the mission for our coalition. And the name of our coalition is the New Hampshire Coalition of Families of the Missing and Murdered. Number one, raising awareness, right? Just raising awareness for all these cases. So much is unsolved. And it's pretty clear that... The system that is in place in the structure in the AG's office is broken. So simply, number one, raising awareness that all this is happening in the state of New Hampshire. We're a pretty small state, so there's a lot that's unsolved. Number two, as Jane was saying, reforming the victim advocacy program. It is broken. 
Jane's never even been given a victim advocate. When you think about what a victim advocate is supposed to do, um, it it just does not appear as if those victim advocates are doing it. Third goal, improving communication with investigators. So we understand that they are busy. We understand they may have a pretty big caseload. However, just completely ignoring families and victims when they're trying to provide information or trying to get updates, simply the the complete lack of communication is unacceptable and honestly disrespectful. And then, of course, our last goal, securing justice for the victims. So hopefully as a combination of all these goals, it really is to help improve the communication, improve the system, help make some really good proactive changes. I love that you are very focused on the broken advocacy system that is currently in place. Can you open that up a little bit more for us? What would you like to see it do that it's currently not doing? How is it broken and how can it get fixed? And my third question, is it an easy fix? Is it a quick fix? The victim advocates currently are just an extension of the attorney general's office. And unfortunately, the experience that everyone has had with the victim advocates is that is literally just what they are doing. They're an extension of the AG's office. In our opinion, they should be helping to actually advocate for the victim. I don't think that it's going to be necessarily be, you know, an overnight change, but simply put... They should not be termed victim advocates if they are not going to advocate for the victims. All of what Amanda said, but people need to be aware, too, of how broken the advocacy program is. Uh, I don't think a lot of people realize how broken it is. Julie Murray and Trish Haynes family, they've had like three different advocates since October. Like, why? And when you talk to them, I know when I have talked to the advocates, it's like they can't answer my questions until they go back and talk to the AG office, and then they can come back and answer my questions. So that's been quite frustrating, to be to say the least. Not an easy fix, but it is fixable if we show awareness that the system is broke and people march and come together, then maybe they'll be more apt to change, uh, make changes in the advocacy program. Have you invited press to the march? Absolutely. Julie Murray has been doing a fabulous job. She has um, sent out press releases to just about everybody in and out of the area. Again, we got the billboards going up. There's going to be a lot of press there. And uh, we encourage more. I just did a big art uh, interview yesterday with one of the local papers about the march. Yeah, there's there's been a lot of uh, interest with uh, media on this. WMUR is also going to be covering it. And I believe Cross Space Media will be there. Yes. Oh, we're everywhere. <laughs> yes, we sure will be. <laughs> So um, we're seeing a ton of support, uh, which is great for us to put all this together in a month, month and a half has been amazing. Um, But we're all working together and we all have our roles and we hope for a big turnout. And depending on how this goes, and this is sort of a long scope question, 
if this goes well and you have a good experience and you actually see some changes that are being put in place, would you consider expanding this to other states in the in the nation and maybe working with other groups, you know, not directly going there, but working with other family members in another state if they saw what you just did and they wanted to do it in their state? Is that something you're all nodding? So I'm thinking that this is something that you have talked about. Yes, we have. We have talked about it with uh, in one of our Zoom meetings we had with everybody. And we, we want to make sure that this, you know, we're actually forming a an organization is what we're literally doing right now. And after this March, we hope to continue with this organization and and hope to help others and and possibly in the future um, expanding to other states. Uh, New Hampshire is not the only state that has this issue, <laughs> these problems, unfortunately. It's made me aware of the broken system in so many different states, and it's it's it needs to be fixed. It needs awareness. I don't think a lot of people realize how broken these systems are. Absolutely. And I want to shift quickly to something that happened in the news recently. The alleged Long Island serial killer Rex Hewerman was recently arrested. And there's just been a slew of information coming out about this alleged serial killer. Have you all learned something from this alleged serial killer being arrested that you could apply to your work in the Connecticut River Valley cases? Trying to think of the best way to word this. So. I know. I was going to say, wow, Tim, good question. As we're all like, it really is. <laughs> it did make me start thinking. It was actually funny because it was a question that I posed to Jane a couple of weeks ago before the news actually came out. As far as the staying in contact, he would, you know, he would make the occasional phone call to the um, victim's families. But one thing I did do with Jane was I actually sat her down and asked her, has there been anybody in not necessarily her direct life? but maybe somebody close to her that has stayed around and always tried to find out how Jane was going. Were there any updates on the case? Not by asking Jane directly, but by possibly asking her husband, uh, her father-in-law, just to try to get her mind going was, because when we look at Dark Valley, the first, I think it was the two or three victims uh, that Jen brought up was when there was a suspect, he might've known who they were. So it's going down the rabbit hole of, okay, if this attacker does somehow know each victim, would he have known Jane and did he stay in her life on the outskirts, just stay into contact, not with her, but with family members? So that was something I definitely had asked Jane just a couple of weeks ago, just to get her mind thinking and to really go back over everybody that has come into her life that she's like, I know that person. I don't know him well, but he's always around occasionally, cookouts, up at the farm, stuff like that. Um, so a question didn't arise from the Long Island serial killer, but it was along the same sort of um, way of thinking that I would have had when hearing about this case. He, he did. He asked me that like out of the blue and really made me think like, wow, that. That is that is something to really start paying attention to for me, and and, and 
really think about. So yeah, I, I've definitely um, been more aware uh, of conversations I'm having now with, with different people, whether I, I know them personally or, or uh, you know, am around them just briefly. It, it was a interesting conversation we had. <laughs> and we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. Amanda, from your uh, life coach experience, I'm curious about this. We never think about, and I didn't think about this as much until Drew just answered that and Jane followed up. The people who do the attacking, these perpetrators, have a family. And when you look back at the ones that have been caught, all, all the way back, you know, you do see... There, for the most part, you see family members coming forward and saying, this took me by surprise, especially with the Long Island serial killer. His wife, I think, used the word uh, blindsided. This this totally blindsided me. And she's filing for divorce. So in your opinion, the people who are attacked, and this is coming off of what Jane just said, the people who are attacked obviously suffer a significant amount of PTSD. Do you think it's the PTSD that prevents people from considering those things, like this person has a family, maybe I know someone in their family, maybe I saw them at the supermarket numerous times, you know, maybe they're stocking shelves, or maybe they're even closer to me. Do you think the PTSD prevents the attack victims from seeing it immediately? That's a really great question. Possibly. Everybody is different. Everybody is different in the way that they respond to any sort of trauma. And the ability to actually go into survival mode or be able to compartmentalize is different with each individual. So that is a great question. I think it all depends on the individual. I would like to add to that a little bit. Me being a victim, I have a hard time visualizing the monster that attacked me as a family man, as a happy man, as a, a man that's living a normal life. Because in my mind, he's just a monster. Now, very well could be, you know, he could have been living a happy, normal life, wife, kids, whatever. But in my mind, he's just a monster that that has none of that. It's so hard to explain, but it, it, it's so different for a victim to really visualize him with a uh, a family and a happy life and a home and and all that. It, it's so hard for me to visualize that. The only thing I can visualize is he's a monster sitting in a vehicle hunting for his next victim. Yeah, well, well done. I thought that I absolutely tied myself up with that question because I was trying to work it out, but you both gave really good answers. And you went even further with it by saying, like, you couldn't even visualize him doing anything other than the horrible thing that he did to you. And we recently had a great conversation with Tara Newell, and she has a show out, which, Jane, I believe you're going to be on Survivor Squad with Collier Landry, one of the latest episodes of Crawl Space. We spoke with her, and she has, and I want to get your opinion on this, she has this, and she says it, she's not a doctor, so this is a theory. She has this theory about the nervous system in the body when something happens to an individual where they have to go into, they can't do the flea and they have to go into fight mode and everything in their system just builds up to prevent the 
ultimate bad thing from happening to them. So they, they're fighting beyond anything that they were able or thought that they were capable of doing. So their nervous system has been escalated to the point where it'll never be the same again. And she said that that even contributes to autoimmune disorders, that because your body is almost kind of fighting itself, because it's reached that point, so it's always, now it has a new threshold. Just wanted to get your thoughts on that. What do you, what do you think about that? I know with myself, a lot of people have asked me uh, in interviews, do you remember the pain of the stabbing? I don't. As soon as he started stabbing, my body went into like survival mode and, and prevented me from feeling the actual stab wounds. I have had a lot of health problems, <laughs> a lot of health issues, especially with um, being sick a lot autoimmune system and being sick a great deal. When I'm sick, I, I, I just get a common cold. I have to get full-blown pneumonia, bronchitis, and near hospitalization. Um, and, and that very could possibly, that's a very good possibility that it's, it's an extension from my attack. I, I don't doubt that at all. Lance, along your line of thinking, um, this is a delicate question for Jane, but during the suicide attempts, did you feel the pain then? No. No. So it doesn't have lent to the theory that maybe the body was almost system overloaded. Yeah. That's a really good thing to think about. With all my counseling, that has never been brought up. That's the first time I've heard that. That's very interesting. Gives me a lot to think about. I think we need to research that. <laughs> Yeah, I absolutely agree about the theory of the drastic increase in the nervous system when experiencing some sort of trauma and it affecting your autoimmune abilities. Um, taking that almost even a step further, there is a neurological component as well. And that neurological component does kick in when someone is put into traumatic experiences, which can also cause people to not be able to remember or completely, completely forget events as well. But it also, it, 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 it's your mind and your body's way of helping you survive or trying to get through what you're experiencing too. Well said. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been a really great conversation here today. We really appreciate you joining us and spending some time with us here on Crawl Space. And want to let our audience know right here that the next episode that will be on the Crawl Space feed will be an episode of Invisible Tears recapping Dark Valley. And I'll just repeat it again because I just love being redundant about things that are important in life. <laughs> but Dark Valley is very focused on the victims and telling their stories. And by telling their stories, it is leading to developments in each one of those cases. And Invisible Tears is the other side of things. It's what's going on inside of the minds of the people who have been attacked and how can they raise their voices and how, and how can we help them raise their voices. Even if you just listen to the episodes, you are helping. You are helping because you're, you're getting some knowledge about something that you didn't know you needed if you're a fan of this true crime genre so the the investigation podcasts that are out there and and those that are popular on tv like they're fun because you get to try to solve a mystery but once you get the the full picture you're going to feel so much better about consuming this content and and i think that's what In invisible tears does really well is fully inform 
give them the entire picture and bring everything not full circle but bring bring it to like a complete knowledge point like touchstone in your in your head we really try to humanize the victims instead of giving these monsters a voice we're giving these victims a voice and i think that's really really important because these victims don't have a voice anymore i was blessed and lucky enough to have survived real killer i don't want them to be forgotten on so many levels their cases are unsolved they don't have voices anymore people need to know that you know these women suffered and and the families have suffered also 